Are you ready, Christine? I'm ready. Are you ready, Ma? I am. Let's go. Let's go to San Francisco, California. Is this our first time in San Fran? Ooh, was it? I maybe. Guess who's coming to dinner? Was that in San Francisco? Oh, I don't know. Well, who knows? We'll say yes. Well, it's one of the few times. This is the story of a Filipino-American family who reunites for a Christmas party at the family home in San Francisco. What could go wrong? <laughs> what what would go, go right? Yeah, what could... Yeah, yeah, yeah. The particulars. Oh, the particulars. We are doing the film Bitter Melon. It uh, was released on... <laughs> no, I'm laughing because I forgot to introduce That was your part? Yeah. yeah. But you do that. Pete, the listeners know. The 15, the 15 solid who's <laughs> run by us know. Ah, yet again, she forgot to. But you, you look at your device, you see what movie it is. It's on there. It, yeah. it it's in the title. game by now. Uh, she forgot again. Uh, it debuted May 12, 2018 at the CAAMF Fest, and then it was released. Um, the United States re- uh, premiere was December 25th, 2018. The particulars. It was written, directed, and edited by H.P. Mendoza. He's an American director, screenwriter, actor, producer, and musician. He also directed I Am Ghost, Fruit, Fra- F- Fruit Fly, Great Hymn of Thanksgiving slash Conversation Storm. Uh, he wrote Coma. Have you, have you seen Fruit Fly? No, have you? No, but I listened to a podcast with him and I want to see it now. Yeah, I want to see more of his movies after this. Yeah, me too. Sorry uh, to interrupt. No, not at all. Um, He wrote Coma, the musical. Yes, we're open and super powerless. Um, the music was also done by H.P. Mendoza and Marco D'Ambrosio, who did Vampire Hunter D. Bloodlust and We Live in Public. The director of photography is Julie Lopez, who did The Mural, Sand in the Grass, and Moses. Um, on Wikipedia, it said that H.P. Mendoza was also the editor, but then in a review for the film that I read in, I want to say Variety, it mentioned Sylvia Fernandez as the editor. But I couldn't find that in IMDb or Wikipedia. So this was a, on the smaller budget films, a lot of people help out, do a lot of different things. But if in fact Sylvia Fernandez is the editor, I wanted to make sure that that was in there. Or Variety is just, you know, asleep at the wheel and just throwing in people's names when there shouldn't be. So mm-hmm. that could also be a thing. I don't know why I just slandered Variety. Oh, my you God. You certainly did. They, they just took stray shots. I, I don't think we're going to have a problem with it I legally. Don't, I don't that think would it, cause Variety to have heard of us. So <laughs> I think we're safe. One of our solid 15 is actually the <laughs> head editor of Variety. <gasps> Clutch the pearls. Uh, starring John Norman Schneider as Declan, who's also in The Rebound, Last Night, and Jessica Jones. Patrick Ipino as Troy. He was in Awesome Asian Bad Guys, Mr. Sandman, Mr. Sadman, and Void. 
Brian Rivera as Mo. He's in Dead House in the red suit. L.A. Renegen as Tiva. She was in Fruit Fly. Man, I can't say that. Fruit Fly. Colma the Musical and I Am Ghost. Teresa Navarro is in Ad- Advantageous. Fruit Fly and Option 3. Josephine De Jesus was Prisa. She was also in The Patience. And Amelie Amina was Mina in the film. And those are the particulars. Well, thank you so much. So, <clears throat> as, excuse me, <laughs> as I have said, um, it is getting family together for Christmas. So, we are introduced to each of the people. I, I think we meet Shelly first. Shelly is getting on a bus. Yes. And because she has to pick up uh, the last minute staples and her daughter really wants her to get green tea Kit Kats. Had you ever heard? Yes. Yeah. Had you? Mm-hmm. Wow. That was new to me. Okay. <clears throat> well, Shelly, we find out is married to Troy and Troy just looks, um, that's not politically correct to say. He looks like, uh, oh, wow. <laughs> like he's not good news. Like he's up to no good. Yeah, he's just, the, you're going based on first impressions. You're hoping that this guy is going to uh, surpass what, when you first see him. It. I believe he's wearing what an A-frame shirt, and and I think pajama bottoms. No, I thought it was the Troy staple because it made me laugh really hard. Was the uh, the off-brand basketball shorts? Oh, okay, okay. And by, by off-brand, I mean like you know, there's the basketball shorts that people wear in the game, and then there's the regular basketball shorts, and then there's the basketball shorts that look like they're the basketball shorts that you would wear in a game, but, like, they're part of some jersey to some rec league. Yeah. You know. They never actually be, yeah, I get that. Yeah. Yeah, so. (laughs) Ooh, I'm just saying, Gone with the Bushes After Dark is bringing the darkness all your knowledge about basketball shorts we've got you (laughs) yeah i know a lot they're probably reversible like one side's green and the other one's white yes and they mix i am they kind of stink no matter how many times you wash them yeah yeah they do you can't get that funk out and then Mm -hmm. you try adding white vinegar in and it, it alleviates it but it only lasts for like a week and then you're like Oh, I'm going to need more white vinegar. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'll wash that sucker more than once a week. Well, Aaron, considering how you, you perspire. I Well, I don't wear a basketball shorts to work out in. And I want <clears throat> Oh, okay, 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 okay. okay. I was thinking of when you were actually playing basketball. Oh, no. When I was actually playing basketball, I preferred the champion mesh shorts, no pockets, because they had a weight that would keep the shorts down. These Detroit, he's what, I don't even know what it is, Teeny. It's that, it's not the mesh, but it's that, it's what your high school basketball jerseys were made of. That mm. It's like very slick 
Yeah. But it's not like I'm sure now they've they're all like dry fit and stuff. But back yeah. when I was in high school, that was the least moisture wicking material. <laughs> it was basically a, a plastic tarp that was just put over us. <laughs> I, I, I can't, it's not vinyl, but I'm, what is that material? It's very, it's sad. I don't know. Sad. Yeah. No, it's, it's polyester. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but it's not like the good polyester. No. Like, I, 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 I like, don't personally think there is a good polyester but i do not all not all polyester is created equally Ooh, hot take <laughs> power of cast right here right there oh don't get um, me on the power of cast basketball shorts <laughs> get your well, pockets out of here and we well we see him and then mina's on the phone and she's like and you dad wants you to get his cigarettes yes and and it's very important Mina had already asked her to to get a candy bar for her, and she said, I'm on the train, I'm on the bus coming home, I'm not going to stop. Dad wants cigarettes. She pulls the thing right away. Yeah, and you were like, all right, I'll stop. And then Mina was like, well, then can you get my Kit Kats? Yeah, and you can already tell that this woman is, this is the highlight of her day. It's this trip, and this is some bullshit trip, but she is out of the house. And so, yeah, you can just... The house that she lives in with her mother-in-law. What could go wrong? Am I right? Uh, We also, at the airport, we meet Declan. Declan is a gay son uh, who is living in New York City. And he is being picked up by Cousin Tiva, who is a new female character. And then we meet Mo, who is the oldest son, and he is living in Philadelphia. And he is avoiding going back to the family homestead because he knows how awful it is going to be. Oh, okay. Well, we find out that Troy is a dick, and we find out that... (laughs) Well... When there, yeah, we do find out he's a dick. I don't remember what what does he do. He, I, well, this is this is the first half hour. So he shows up with his like not sexy big dick energy, like in his like I'm a dick energy. Yeah, little dick energy actually. <laughs> oh, oh, still me and um. Then we find out that Troy and Mo had been abused by that father who is missing in action. I don't know if that got lost. So and we oh, we already have our dicks begat dicks. Dicks begat yep. dicks. Oh, that might be that that might be a quote for in the running, although it was my quote and not a Okay, anyway, that's the beginning of this tale, and it will have you laughing, and it will have you going, <gasps> what? And it will have you saying, what? <laughs> and just remember that Shelly is living with an abusive husband in the house of her mother-in-law. Yeah. 
So this movie is available to watch for free. If you have Amazon Prime, it's available with commercials on IMDb TV. And let me just say, those commercial breaks, they're going to get mentioned in the battery heatables. It's not the filmmaker's fault, but <laughs> where they pop in, like the first commercial break, I forget what scene it was, but it was very like, wait, what? I thought it. I thought it cut to another part of the. Oh movie. yeah, it was like there's no differentiation of like it's just like next scene. Like yeah. it's not like oh here's a commercial, which can happen. Which happens in this movie, too. No. Yeah, you're talking about because the way like the be especially the beginning, it's it's cut. There's a, a nice clip that it's going to as where it sets the table of getting to know all the different. Um, set the families and stuff so it's very kind of fast and it's setting it up and so you're going from different scene to different scene and then it cuts to this different scene and you think it's just a different scene until you realize no they're selling me something (laughs) but it's really weird because i think the first commercial at least the first one i got was for imdbtv.com so it was like a scene from another movie and then i was like wait what's going so what <clears throat> so we are to our POC count. I well, because this movie is it's about Filipino Americans, so we get to do the people of European descent count. <laughs> we can't say a hundred percent of P. Okay, go ahead. So I just had the one. I didn't write down his name. He was the grinder date. Just yeah. had his, his one scene. Forgot what his name was. Maybe Tyler or something. Oh. Okay, so now we are to power of cast. Um I'll go first, I guess. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um I have two. The first one was within uh, well, I guess there's three. So there's like a whole different, like a couple different storylines and like er, uh, themes. I feel like of the movie, but one of the whole, one of the major points of the story was Declan being gay. Yes, mm-hmm. and it was, I think, when he sat. Well, one of the big dick energy moments of actually little dick energy moments of um, Troy was when he turned on his TV or computer or something and porn was on. And I think it was Declan was like, whoa, straight porn. Yeah, it was And definitely. he was like, who calls it straight porn? And I was like, I've never thought about that. But it's like when you mention porn and people have to be, like specify gay porn. Yeah. Like, but like, if you're gay, that's just what you watch. Yeah. Right. Um, yeah, but that's like what we always end up saying on this podcast is about like the, the people who are at the top of the cast. Mm-hmm. It's what's normal for them. And then everybody else is was expected to fit into your norm. Yeah, and we we'll do it with this movie. We'll get into it later. But there's Filipino Americans and mm-hmm. like, they're American. But I don't want to. But also, like their culture does matter as well. But let's not lose fact right. sight of the fact, like they're Americans, they're not an other. Um, and then nobody's an other. The cast within the gay community 
that's talked about a little bit with um, uh, Declan and his old, when he meets his old boyfriend for uh, lunch or whatever, drinks, whatever they end up doing. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I think this was a quote from the movie. Or is this a quote from something I read? The gay community has an awesome way of p making people of color feel like they're second-class citizens. Oh, definitely uh, said that. Yeah. Okay, he did. I couldn't remember. Um, and there's a um, sfaf.org. Um, the San Francisco AIDS Foundation. They have... Uh, a link about like white supremacy within the gay community and like how it, you know, how you can spot it or just like recognizing that just because, you know, because of the like, gay people are marginalized yes. people also, but recognizing, I think that's something in the past year, a lot has been talked about, you know, recognizing that just because I'm a minority, because I'm gay still, if I'm like a gay white person, I have privileges over a gay black person or Asian person or, you right. know. Um, so there was that. And then my third power of cast was gentrification. Um, and it's also, I did a nerd alert on the mission. Um, I, I did this on my lunch break, so I actually have things printed out today. Oh, nerd. Are they nerd? <laughs> yes. Uh, okay, so this information is from Wikipedia. So if it's wrong, it's Wikipedia's fault, not mine. It's right. Um, so there's a scene where Declan and his mom are shopping at the market, and his mom's looking for bitter melon. And Declan was like, you're not going to be able to find it here. Like, this market is gentrified. Like, we've got to go. You're going to have to go to an Asian supermarket to find it and they bring up the gentrification of the mission district which i didn't know anything about so the mission district is located in east central san francisco it's bordered to the east by the 101 is that how you would say yeah. it? Yeah. Yeah, okay. You know, i said the 101 even though it said us route 101. But but we're in the know. Yeah. Although um, San Francisco's like idiots. That's a SoCal thing. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, so which forms the boundary between the eastern portion of the district known as Intermission and its eastern neighbor Potrero Hill. I thought this was interesting. The mission is often warmer and sunnier than other parts of San Francisco. The microclimates of San Francisco create a system by which each neighborhood can have a different weather at any given time. Oh my gosh. Wow. Yeah, who knew? San Francisco is a cool city. I've only been there once, but it's very cool. Seems and it was like a it. long time ago. We went there on our honeymoon. Oh. Oh, that was a real long time ago. 75. It was the bicentennial. Oh, well, we'll be talking about that year. So we'll start with the native peoples and Spanish colonization. Prior to the arrival of Spanish missionaries, the area which now includes the mission district was inhabited by the Olone people, Olone, O-H-L-O-N-E. Sorry, I don't know how to pronounce some things, who populated much of the San Francisco Bay Area. 
The Yelamu Indians inhabited the region for over 2,000 years. Spanish missionaries wow. arrived in the area during the late 18th century and found these people living in two villages in Mission Creek. It was here that a Spanish priest named Father Francisco Palau founded Mission San Francisco de Assis on June 29, 1776. The mission was moved from the shore to its current location in 1783. And Franciscan friars are reported to have used Ohlone, well, say it's Ohlone, slave labor to complete the mission in 1791. Damn. Y'all been here yeah. for 2,000 years. Mm-hmm. I'm here with the Catholic Ooh. machine mm-hmm. behind me. Get to work. Oh, I, I just then I just picture like Eddie Izzard in Spanish going, "Do you have a flag? <laughs> no." <laughs> and get to work for me. Exactly. Well, and this period marks the end, the beginning of the end of the Yelamu culture, which had been there for two thousand oh. years. Two thousand oh. years. And the Indian population at Mission Dolores dropped from four hundred to fifty between 1833 and 1841. You gotta exterminate all the brutes. Yeah. I mean, it's crazy how much it all just comes down to that. Uh Yeah. So then San Francisco's Southern expansion, the lands near the mission church became a focal point for attractions like bullfighting, bear fighting, horse racing, baseball, and dueling. And all I could picture was um, horses jumping off of the (laughs) horse diving. (laughs) (laughs) A famous beer parlor resort known as the Willows was located along Mission Creek. Um, From 1865 to 1891, a large conservatory and zoo known as Woodward's Gardens covered two city blocks. Um, And in the decades after the gold rush, the town of San Francisco quickly expanded and the mission lands were developed and subdivided into housing plots for working class immigrants, largely German, Irish and Italian, and also for industrial uses. Wait, wait, German, Irish and Italian. Italian. Mm -hmm. Just had to just had to to think about that. Just, Mm -hmm. Just paint it like. All right. So, okay, we got them. Yeah. And so there I'm just. I'm just guessing that it's going to come into play later as far as who gets exterminated and who doesn't. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> there's, there's just well, something that all what Declan was saying. That's what made me research this is when Declan in the movie was like, well, we just like, or no, his mom was like, well, we gentrified it from the Irish people or mm-hmm. something. I was like, okay, what's going mm-hmm. on here? Um, it is very, it's a, yeah, go ahead. Which they, you know, it's, it's all um okay so this section is titled earthquake and population shifts during california's early statehood period in the 19th and 20th century large numbers of irish and german immigrant workers moved into the area around 1900 the mission district was still one of san francisco's least densely populated areas which is crazy to think about now with most of the inhabitants being white families from the working class and lower middle class who lived in single family houses and two family flats. Development and settlement intensified after the 1906 earthquake as many displaced businesses and residents moved into the area, making Mission Street a major commercial thoroughfare. 
1926, the Polish community of San Francisco converted a church and opened its doors as the Polish Club of San Francisco, which, hello, sign me up. <laughs> it is referred to today as the Dom Polski or Polish home. The Irish American community made its mark on the area during this time with notable residents such as etymologist Peter Tammany calling the mission home. I don't know where that is. And during the 1940s and 1960s, a large number of Mexican immigrants moved into the area, displaced from an earlier, quote, Mexican barrio located in Rankin Hill in order to create the western landing of the Bay Bridge. Oh, so, so, oh, go ahead. TV. And this is when the white people left. Then they got yeah. white flight because they were like, ooh, now the Mexicans. So they, needed, so they needed to build the San Francisco Bridge, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And hmm, where are we going to put it? Where's yeah, the so best place? All of the, let's go to the Mexican neighborhood. All right. Mm-hmm. Now, now they need to go someplace. So they're mm-hmm. going to go to this place where, and let's not, let's not kid ourselves. Like, you know, there was uh, gangs of San Francisco between the Irish, the German, the Polish, you oh, know, yeah. how they could tell who like was on the opposing team. I I don't I don't know. I, I had like I did. Were they able to? There's spot not it? an easy visual. Yeah, of like oh, look at. But I do think I bet from there because like it was much closer to people just having come from their country. So, the so I'm sure that there were a little bit more visual. You know, I don't know. Yeah. Like the things you wear and mm-hmm. the way Style you speak dress. and. The culture and the neighborhood you live in. But then I imagine that once the Mexicans who were displaced um, because, you know, they had to get kicked out, come in, then it kind of, kind of, I guess would get kind of interesting because there is a way (laughs) to kind of. There's a visual. There is so it, it's it's almost as if it's it's like a visual cast system mm-hmm. that we have in place. <laughs> go oh, go ahead, TV. So yeah, that well then the white people left. They were like, we gotta go. We gotta find somewhere else to go. We could not possibly stay here. Um, then, but you know, there was a few who were like, wait, but did you like? They had this thing. It was this tortilla, and they put these meats inside it. Yeah, right. But, and yeah, you're just like ah. I uh, I hear what all of my friends and family are saying about them, but and I mean, when you compare there? Mexican food to like Irish food, I mean Italian, okay, but. Polish food? I, I mean, yeah. Irish food is. Wait, I will not have people slander Polish food. Well, on yeah, kibasa, pierogies. Yeah, Polish food could be pretty good. But, yeah, but Irish but and if it's English, in a death match between Mexican, like you can only eat yeah. one of these yeah, for yeah, the rest yeah. of your life. But yeah. hey, what about a Mexican Polish restaurant? That's my kitchen. I am I am the fuse. The not like kitchen. not a fusion, but just you have all like of those Chino Poblano in Vegas. It's yeah. not a fusion restaurant. They just serve. They have two separate kitchens. One serves Chinese food. The other serves Mexican food. Oh my god! And they, you can order from different. You know. Oh, you can, that's excellent. You know. Like maybe even German, because then you get the brats and the beer, mm-hmm. and then you get with the Mexican. A big food hall. Oh, they could have yeah. just come together, but they didn't. And um, so that's what gives 
like ultimately the mission, a heavily Chicano Latin, Latino character for which it continues to be known today. So starting in the 60s, Central American immigration has contributed to a Central American presence that outnumbers Mexicans since the 1960s. Okay, I didn't. Now we're gonna be in the 1970s. This is where you come into play. Mm. You guys are there on your honeymoon. Um, and that is when the Latino population in the Western part of the mission declined a little bit and more middle-class young people moved in, which is probably how you guys decided to go on your honeymoon there, including gay and lesbian people. <laughs> what? <laughs> From the mid-1970s to the 1980s, Valencia Street Corridor included one of the most concentrated and visible lesbian neighborhoods in the United States. The Women's Building and the Lexington Club were part of that community, which that sounds like a fun time. Doesn't it? Um, and in the late 70s and early 80s, Valencia Street Corridor had a lively punk nightlife featuring the bands, the Offs, the Avengers, the Dead Kennedys, Flipper, and several clubs. Um which they named. Uh, okay, the punk scene. Yeah, we all know about that. In the 80s and 90s, the neighborhood received a higher influx of immigrants and refugees from Central America, South America, the Middle East, and even the Philippines and former Yugoslavia, mm. fleeing civil wars and political instability at the time. These immigrants bought in many Central American banks and companies which would set up branches, offices, and regional headquarters on Mission Street. So that's kind of how we got mm -hmm. when Jacqueline was talking about when they moved in. Um, it was probably in the 80s and 90s. And then from the 90s to present, um, especially during the dot-com boom, young urban professionals moved into the area. It's widely believed that their movement initiated gentrification. So that's, I mean, we can all agree that the dot-com boom is probably what started yeah. gentrification of San Francisco or made it what it is today, raising rent and housing prices. Um, a number of Latino American middle-class families, as well as artists, moved to uh, the outer mission area or out of the city entirely to the suburbs of East Bay and South Bay. Despite rising rent and housing prices, many Mexican and Central American immigrants continue to reside in the mission, although the neighborhood's high rents and home prices have led to the Latino population dropping by 20% over the decade until 2011, which this was 10 years ago when this was written, so who knows what it's like now. Right. Um, I think it's, I don't think that you could even, like, sniff, uh, you no. have to be making so much money we're right. living with five people. Yeah. The, um, in 2008, the mission still had a population, a reputation of being artist friendly. Uh, the mission remains the cultural nexus and epicenter of San Francisco's Mexican, um, community. But I don't know, basically it's, talk, you know, I think we all know where that ended up. I, it, San Francisco is the one city in the country that you take a pay cut to move to New York from. Wow. I guess I, I should say San Francisco is the most expensive city in the country. Yeah. <laughs> no, I, I like the way that you said it, though, because uh -huh. everybody thinks New York <laughs> yeah. is the most expensive yeah. place. 
It's insane. I remember I had a friend who had the same job as me and like had to live in a studio apartment, like just, Mm -hmm. and still the rent, I remember him sending me his rent and I'm like, holy shit. Like, I mean, New York's insane too, but the cost of living in San Francisco has just skyrocketed so much with all these tech businesses. And And now it's going to, isn't it spreading to Oakland? Mm -hmm. Oakland was where. Oh my God. You can barely even live in Oakland now. Mm -hmm. Wow. Cause Oakland was like so run down. Well, Oakland was where the black Panthers started. Like Oakland had a a thriving black community, you know, cause because of systematic racism, it was like, all right, we're allowed to be here. We're going to thrive and we're going to like do it up. And then when all of that stuff happens, you know, yeah. And then it, it's a thing about land and when people who are middle class, like there are so many documentaries and stuff about San Francisco, about how that it's it is almost it is a crisis because you have there's an infrastructure of the city of the teachers, firefighters, police officers, um, administrative, th- you know, child protective services, like these county doctors, nurses, like especially nurses, you know, especially medical personnel who run these things that the city of San Francisco needs, but they can't afford to live there. And mm-hmm. they're getting pushed further and further out of the city. And at some point it's like, why am I, it's a job, but I am, I have to, to commute all this way. And that, that's a, a class cast to come exactly. in. Yeah. I don't think that's, and I think that that's going to, I think that's going to be something that we see starting to change with the way people are working now. Like, I think a lot of people are kind of starting to be like, um, wait, I just, do I just live here because of a job? And like, I can barely, you know, you spend half of your day commuting and is that really that important? And I could get another job where I could work remote and not have to worry about mm-hmm. traveling here and, yeah, but then it is the the class of people who they can't. If you're a bus driver, you can't really like you can't tell commute. You can't work from home. You're a bus driver. Oh no, yeah. Oh, I see what you're saying. Yes. Yeah, like it's the that class yeah. of people who are who are the backbone of a city, but they're not making the money mm-hmm. to be able to pay mm-hmm. the rent. But they're the ones who make it. You're trash collectors. You know, you're people who really. Right do the work to make the city and then these rich people are coming in and you've lived there the we were there was just an article adam are you in there do you remember what the percentage was of people in brooklyn who can't buy houses Uh, 80% 80%? oh that doesn't surprise so there was just a um it was an article about people specifically who are born and raised in Brooklyn and they can't, it's like 80% of people born and raised in Brooklyn can't afford to buy a house or an apartment in the neighborhood where they grew up in. Like you think like if you, you know, really if you, the neighborhood you grow up in, that's kind of how you, you should be able to, if you're born and raised there and you never leave, eventually you should be able to buy a house there. That's not the way that we've set up the system in America. And they didn't, they didn't have a house to inherit because their parents couldn't buy a house. And so they were renting or they did. And now their parents are, I think like their parents were able to buy a house 
or had one passed down to them. And now, so now they can't because so many parts of Brooklyn are gentrified to the point of not being able to, you know. Well, the, the parents bought the house and then the prices went out and they're like, excuse me, you want to give me how much? Yes, <laughs> I'm moving to Florida. <laughs> yeah, not a good choice. <laughs> so that was my um, power of cast for gentrification. I just have a few quick power of cast as well. Um, I thought it was funny, the joke about... Um, somebody made a joke because they're Filipino and they was like, oh, well, we get a, like people always think we're Mexican anyways. Mm-hmm. And I think that that I like that. It was like, oh, I could see how that. But then think of why you think that. And it has to do with skin color and the power of mm-hmm. caste. And also because of the Philippines history of because they were colonized I believe by Spanish like a yep. very heavy Spanish influence and that influence brought in the church as well so that's where you get um, a lot of Spanish last names as yeah, well yeah exactly like oh okay um, also Mo's wife how she didn't like she was pregnant but then also the fact that he like, you could tell that she was very far along in her pregnancy and he hadn't told his mother yet and his wife is a black woman and you kind of... There's there is that dancing around because, um, you know, the caste system isn't just something that is within American cultures, although it is heavily within that, but within Asian cultures, there is the caste system and there are... Like, the skin color is a big thing in asia like they have differing a lot of different creams and stuff to um lighten skin mm-hmm. and the the philippines is in asia and there is a caste system within them because of like where they're situated and stuff and mm-hmm. there is a, th- a colorism thing uh, there's like colorism is a thing in asia it's a thing in the philippines and so when you have that and you think of, of somebody that is coming from another country, the Philippines, to America for all the reasons that everybody comes to America for a better life. And it's like in that in what uh, Isabella Wilkerson puts in her book, you know, you have the black people who are at the bottom of the cast. And then that goes into colorism where you fit into there. And then all of the other different minorities have to shuffle in. And where you get shuffled in depends a lot upon what? Your skin color. Mm -hmm. And so I, the mother might like genuinely like the, her daughter-in-law, but there is that issue of the skin color. And then I got to thinking about, you know, Meghan Markle and Harry, and you know that, you know that that mom is thinking how dark is that kid going to be, even though she doesn't find out until like the very end. Oh, and so then besides that, we also have Shelly, how she was forced to take back Troy because the family disowned her when she filed the temporary restraining order. How they were disappointed with her when they weren't disappointed in the one who was physically abusing her. And you can you can hear it throughout the house. It's not like you don't know it because it's behind a closed door. Everybody hears. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
Okay, we're to nerd. Alert. Oh, but you know what? I'm sorry. One just like popped into my head. Um, but I think we'll cover when we get to the quotables. But that that is a power up cast when we get to it. It's a great yes. quote. Yes, yes, it is. Agreed. <clears throat> nerd. Nerd alert. So 2018, the U.S. government shut down over deferred action for childhood arrivals. Remember, if like you were brought to the United States because your parents were had to flee the country and wanted a better life and you were a kid and this was the only country you had ever known that they were going to deport you. Mm-hmm. But then they were like trying because it's like, well, where are you going to send me back to? I'm American. This is my country. And so then the government shut down over that. Um, 17 high school students were shot and killed at Parkland. Yeah. In Florida. The Syrian Civil War. Uh, Prince Harry and Meghan Markle got married. Um, (laughs) Ethiopia and Ethiopia officially declared an end to their 20-year conflict. And you know how we always say after the Holocaust, never again when it comes to genocides. Well, that shit's happening and it's happening now on the African horn. And it's so like I need to read about it because it's it's these dictators and it's almost like they're outsourcing genocide between the two of them. And it's crazy. Um. And it's really easy to ignore because it's in Africa, but yeah. like horrible shit is happening right now. It's got dictators. We got people being conscripted into the army to do horrible things to women. Um, and then after that, I lost the will to look up what happened. <laughs> what else? Understood. Understood. Like, oh my god. So then I moved on to the top movies of 2018. Well, I have one more event of 2018. Okay. We, um, there was a wedding. Oh my gosh, that's right. I kept waiting. Oh, yeah. Yeah, no, sorry. Uh, yeah, like, wow, thanks. It, it was just really dark. <laughs> I, was, I didn't even get to September to, to be like, oh yeah, September 2018. Yeah, that's true. Because that was on that. that positive note. Yeah, they got married. That was... Yeah, leave them on a high. Oh, we also have um, the 2000... So number five, 2000 movies, 2018, Aquaman. Number four was Incredibles 2. Number three was Jurassic World, Fallen Kingdom. Number two was Black Panther. Black Panther came out. All right, I was Um, about to say slow year for movies, but okay. And the number one box office film was Avengers Infinity War. Oh, oh, yeah, that was good. Best Picture nominees were Vice... A Star is Born, Roma, The Favorite, Bohemian Rhapsody, Black Klansman, Black Panther, and your Academy Award winning film for 2018, Green Book. Yeah. Um, the uh, I worked yeah. with a, a lot of Filipinos, and so I, I'm like, oh, Filipino, they, they're speaking Tagalog. But in this film, they're not speaking Tagalog. They're speaking... Ah, yeah, not even Ilocano. I probably, I'm sorry, I apologize, but that's the third most spoken language in the Philippines. And oh. the Philippines, if you look it up on a map, it is composed of just thousands of islands, small yes. islands. 
So there's 120 to 187 different languages spoken in the Philippines. Wow. Oh, wow. Yeah. And in 1987, the Constitution designated Filipino as a standard version of Tagalog as the national language and an official language along with English. Hmm. So, because I was listening to, like, I can't understand Tagalog, but I know what it sounds like. You know what I mean? And when they were speaking um, in this film, I was like, but that doesn't sound like Tagalog. And then when I was like, oh, because it's not, it's a different. And th- this language is um, in most often found in the northern area of uh-huh. the Philippines. Um, and so those are my nerd alerts. And Christine, other than the best wedding ever, do you have any nerd alerts? Serious apologies. I it was yeah. dark there for a while. Ooh, Aaron's in trouble tonight. I, know. I do have a nerd alert. I have a nerd alert about bitter melon. Oh, thank you. Um so in the movie Bitter melon, she's making it a dish with bitter melon, the mom. I don't know what she's making. I can't remember. Possibly a soup. Oh, but I, let me just tell you, it's probably delicious. I don't know. Well, yeah, probably, maybe. I'm not sure about that. Um, because Declan when they're shopping, like bitter yeah, melon. Yeah, because when they're shopping at the supermarket, Declan's like, why are you looking for bitter melon anyway? It's disgusting. And yeah. she was like, well, it's good for my, uh, for her acid, ref- acid reflux arthritis. Or- yeah. Okay. It's good for her body and somehow that we don't remember. So I was like, let me look into this. Um, a bitter melon is a vegetable used in India and other Asian countries. The fruit and seeds are used to make medicine. People use bitter melon for diabetes, obesity, stomach and intestinal problems, and many other conditions. There's no good scientific evidence. It's just like a natural healing mm-hmm. food. It's also, I heard a lot of people um, refer to it as a gourd. Oh! Yeah. Not compliant, Ma. Okay. Well, it's got seeds. But, but the seeds are yeah, skin. Yeah, scrape them out. Yeah, and then you... Yeah, so... It contains a chemical that acts like insulin that helps reduce blood sugar levels. So the number one thing I saw it would be helpful to treat or to manage is diabetes. Mm. Mm-hmm. This is coming from organicauthority.com. I don't know much about this website, so my apologies. But I saw a bunch. Of, I mean, it's everywhere, too. They've got authority in their name. Yeah. What could go wrong? I know. Um it's also, and then they also said that it's used in the Caribbean. Mm-hmm. I believe uh, it's the same, the similar climates, I bet. Yeah. Well, while it's not commonly grown in the U.S., immigrants are introducing this age-old favorite to their gardens. It's a vining plant that's a member of the Cucurbitaceae family. Nice. Which also includes squash, watermelon, and cucumbers. So it's... Um, no surprise that bitter melon tastes bitter. In fact, it can make your mouth pucker like sucking on a lemon. It tastes like a mixture of grapefruit and chocolate, if you can imagine that. I can? The unripe version is eaten like a vegetable in dishes like stir fry. 
Uh, it's a warm season crop that needs to be grown in temperatures of at least 75 degrees, and it grows best in hot and humid climates, but can also be grown in greenhouses to extend the growing season. Hmm. And is usually planted in late spring or early summer, which makes sense. So compounds called cucurbitacans, cucurbitacans, cucurbitacins, that's probably it, cucurbitacins. Help cleanse the body while improving blood sugar, fighting viruses, and even killing cancer cells. Uh, you know what? Here's the thing. This bitter melon, he said it's not, you're going to have to go to the Asian market. Let BuzzFeed come out with an article. You know that bitter melon is going to be mm -hmm. in that market. It seems like the most common way to cook it is in stir fryer added to soups. Uh, now, I went down a TikTok rabbit hole oh, no. of, I typed in bitter melon and started looking, there's a bunch of, of creators that were, had videos of it, and a lot of them were um, Asian or like of Asian or Indian descent who were saying like they hated when their mom would make, they were like, I hated this. I hated bitter melon when I was growing up. So I'm trying to see if I can like it. It's got a lot of health benefits. So a lot of it was like people trying to be like, I fucking hated this as a kid. Let me see if I can make it now in a way that I would like it. Like I want, you know, right. um, and so it seems like you cut it in half long ways, mm -hmm. scoop out the guts like a pumpkin or any other gourd you would use. And then you chop it up and you could use it in, um, I mean, one girl, she pan fried it or, uh, roasted it in a pan and put some seasonings on it, said it was tasty. Um, but yeah, that's, yeah, I'd love to, I'd love to make it for your poppy, but he would want to add so much sugar to it that it would counteract well, that would <laughs> sugar to it. <laughs> Does that compute? It's like bitter melon is probably the next acai. Probably, you know, Our, and you know, when we'll start, we'll start hearing about it next week. Yeah, we're we're going to start hearing about like white people getting into bitter melon and it's going to be this thing. And then yeah. we're going to be on the text message going like, all right, one of these 15 solid listeners <laughs> probably, probably works, works for, for variety. <laughs> Buzzfeed or exactly. variety. Yeah, maybe they are freelance for both. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that's bitter melon. I don't know. I'd like to try it sometime, but it you sounds like worry. something I would not like to make by my, you know, like I, I would want to try that somewhere, like at a restaurant or something. Yeah, yeah you don't want to. Yeah. yeah. Or buy a whole bitter melon in order to just have one piece and go, no, thank you. Yeah. I would want or if you're me, you'd buy two bitter melons. You'd yes. fix both of them, take one taste and go, hmm, shouldn't have done that. <laughs> with all this bitter melon exactly okay so we are to negative reheatables all right well my first one was just commercial breaks from <laughs> the way we are yeah they did just pop up where, where you weren't expecting all right so this one is i don't mean it to sound as critical as it's gonna come across because who am I like this guy made this movie he doesn't need to listen to anything that I'm about to say but I will say I really enjoyed the beginning of this movie 
And then it got to a point where I was I was digging like the dialogue. I was digging how it's because it's very hard to juggle a comedy mm-hmm. and then with the drama elements in it. And I liked like the offbeat antics that was uh, happening within it. Um, so I only say this because I want to see more HP Mendoza films. And I think this guy is a good enough filmmaker and storyteller that it should, he should be in the multiplexes. Like he should, he's an American filmmaker and his movies should be out because they really do show we have more in common than we have differences. I like, I like, like, I, I'm not Filipino myself. But I didn't go into this movie like, oh, this movie isn't for me. Like at one point they mentioned, <clears throat> he mentions that Troy mentions that he went uh, was going to audition for this band Kai, and I know that that hits like, <clears throat> sorry for Filipino Americans and Filipinos. They're like, ah, that's hilarious. But I was able to surmise right. and put together that that's a boy band. It was like he auditioned for In Sync or something. And like I was still in on the joke. I didn't feel like I was an outsider. Exactly. And I'm sure there's there's also little things that maybe I, like I didn't pick up, but I wasn't mad and like pouting or anything. So I definitely want this guy's voice out here. I will say though that <clears throat> it's hard when you're the writer, director, editor doing the music. There's this thing that I looked it up for nerd alerts called and I started it was towards the midway section of the movie where there was just the scenes and the dialogue. I was like, "Ah, things could have been cut a little tighter. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And it's this term called kill your darlings. And that's common advice given by experienced writers. Um, And so I looked it up on the master class per the master class staff. Kill Your Darlings is when you decide to get rid of unnecessary storyline, character, or sentences in a piece of creative writing. I do that every time I send an email. Yeah. British writer Sir Arthur Quiller Couch, who wrote in his 1916 book on the art of writing, quote, If you here require a practical rule of me, I will present you with this. Whenever you feel an impulse to perpetrate a piece of exceptionally fine writing, obey it wholeheartedly and delete it before sending your manuscript to press. Murder your darlings. So mm. I just know, cause it's so hard when you're, so, when you've written, when you came up with this in your head, you filmed it. You've got these characters, these actors who are giving these great performances or maybe they're giving a look and you want to keep everything in because it it's tickling to you. It's very hard to go in and to cut out things to just make it tighter. Just just make it a little bit tighter. It's very hard. So I and this is his directorial film debut and I just oh. want it He's made other things, but I think this was his first, like, directing and all of this. And I want him to keep on going. But the next, like, to get him into the level where he can be, like, a Tarantino. Because mm-hmm. I believe he has that talent. It's just the fine things of just... I think that you can have two, really maybe one, but really two things where you can leave it in for yourself because you just really yeah. like it. Yeah. Like when somebody gives a look or reaction and you could cut it, but it's just like really funny to you. It's You just have to, over time, fine-tune it and be like, 
is this something that is legitimately going to pop with other people or because you can't keep, have like that and that and that and keep it right. on. That's what separates the people who get to make one movie. Like basically it's what separates him from me. You know, like he can go on and, and do other things, but you just have to like kill your darlings and make it tighter and just cut, especially towards the end. Cause it's just got a little bit clunky with the just scenes would just get a little bit too long. There'd be a little bit too extra dialogue. Kind of like this rant I just did. Case in point. Well, so, you know what's interesting is I watch, I listened to an interview with him on the podcast called The Outcast. And um, he was saying how he doesn't think anybody's first film should be their best. Yeah. So. If you're, you're going to have a, a great career. And he was mainly talking about Fruit Fly, but. Um, oh. You know, we'll use it in this one. There, you're gonna only go up. That's what he was saying. Like if you're, mm-hmm. if your first film is your, and he was saying he was talking about how he's like a lot of independent filmmakers. And the thing that I like about H.P. Mendoza is he comes like he comes honestly by it. He's not like coming. He doesn't come from money or like, and then you know, it's not like he had his life made and he comes from money and that's how he um, is able to do this. Like he is a struggling independent filmmaker. And he was like, I feel like a lot of the times, a lot of people I know don't put out their work because they're, they don't like, they don't think it's good enough or it's not perfect. Or, you know, they're afraid of what people will think, or they're not, it's not the place that they want it to be. Um, he was like, I just think everybody's first work shouldn't be their best. Yeah. It's, it's completely true. And I wouldn't, I think I think that what he's done in this movie, it's it was very exciting and I liked watching it. But it was, it's just my little note of like the thing to get you to that next level, which I believe in you would mm-hmm. be just that. And that's something that you can only get from making a movie, seeing it watched and then hearing the different because right now, like that's the t- and that's the time. I'm glad that he made the movie the way that he did it because he because he was independent. He didn't have anybody telling him to make all of these other cuts and stuff, exactly. which when he gets more successful and and more people are giving him money, then he has to, um, you know, listen to what other people want to have done and those people that have the money may not be as talented as him. So I like like him refining his craft so that he can get and know in his own way and then the next movie that he makes if hopefully it's with more money and there's people behind it he has that compass within him to know when to fight for a scene to keep no no that stays in okay i'll cut that i'll cut that that's really important don't need that don't need that don't need that when he can get to the point where he can kill his darlings basically um then my next battery heatable at the end, so Declan's cool with his mom, brother, and cousin thinking they killed their abusive brother and chopped him up, but really they chopped up their father? Yeah. And they never told... And because, the mother. Yeah, but Wait, they never... What? Like, at the end... Okay, can I just tell you something that... So, because of extenuating circumstances, I couldn't watch the pat the last 20 minutes of the movie i could only listen to it and i had it in my pocket so you mean to tell me they killed the dad not the brother 
I do believe that that's what happened. It oh was my God. Next time I pick my phone up, they're carrying bags. Yes. Yeah. Well, you see them the carrying dismembered... bags. Yeah, and I, I heard him be like, no, I got the thing, I got the But bag you don't really, but the way, but this is also what, like, H.P. Mendoza is doing so many great things in this movie. That's why I want to make more movies. Oh, they just, they didn't say it. Right. No. You only, when you, oh, when you have them with the bags, okay. right. Which leads me to my last bad reheatable because it's about the scene. So you, so you, you he's down there, he has the axe, it cuts, like, you see the reaction of the family. Then yeah. I believe then they're at the cliffside. Mm-hmm. My best battery heatable, all wearing white. Yeah. All of them are yeah. wearing white like, tops. Like, Come on. Trash bags. Like no, not. I get it because they pop on the screen and we can see all the characters, but that's when you want your camo blend. Mm-hmm. You want your most San Francisco blending into the scenery. <laughs> yeah. Like you're disposing of a cut up body. Don't be Especially wearing white. Especially if, if one of those bags, you know, just has a little rip in it, the blood is gonna mm-hmm. show. And how is it still so white? If you dismember the body, where's all the yeah. blood? Got? So many questions I ask. So then, yeah. So then you see the the blood, and then it isn't until at the end when Declan gets dropped off at the airport. And then you go inside, and then he meets Troy, and Troy's at the airport. Oh, you know, I tried to go watch the last five minutes of the movie, and Amazon was like, start it over. And then because there was commercials, I tried to go back, and they were like, we can't do that for you. Yeah, yeah. Oh, because then Wow. Oh, my God. Yeah. It is a twist. But... A rather negative one, according to me. Well, but my ne- one of my negative reheatables was what about Mina's friend's parents, who they always drop her off with when dad's being abusive? What, they're just, now they killed the dad, now they killed Troy, so like, what are they gonna think? They didn't kill that, Troy. Well, they I killed- know, that was what I was saying. Oh, so, that was my, so like, if they actually killed Troy, there's a lot more to answer to. Oh, they yeah. killed the dad, right. so nobody right. cares about him, nobody even knew where he was. Right. Yeah, and then you find and, he, and he's the source of all of this, he's the one who gave the head trauma to Troy. He is. He is. I agree with that. But Troy is getting away. Yeah. He's going to go to some other community. Yeah, and he's going to go abuse community. somebody else. Yeah. Yeah. And then, well, the thing that you also uh, miss is, I don't know if you put it together, but the bus driver who was always giving her the, the, the book, that that was the father. Because at the very end, yes. you see at the very end you see him like you see the father come out and you see Declan with an axe in an alleyway, and you're like oh. And then at the very end, um, what's her name? Shelly. Shelly. Shelly is waiting for the bus. The bus pulls mm-hmm. up, and instead of it being the guy mad dogging her, which was the father, we find it's a different woman. So then you're like oh. The body in those bags was the father. Declan killed his father. Oh, my oh God. God. Wow, what an amazing twist. Yeah, yeah. it is. Yeah. But yeah, Declan doesn't tell anybody. And it, I'm just like, it just seems like that. that is, I don't, ah, it, ah. Like the mom mm-hmm. is like, I killed my son and I disposed of his body. <laughs> Yeah, it's just there. I had a lot of questions, but I was just like, bravo for the ambitiousness yeah. of, of this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
that's where I get into like I think that it it would have it could have landed like even greater if it just some things had just been cut yeah. just streamlined I, down. I agree. I agree. Okay. Um, I we, have one. Yeah. Go ahead. Sorry. I have one. You know, when you take food to a potluck then all of the women are looking to see if if yours if theirs all got eaten up and if it didn't then everybody's looking like yeah we see you yeah you brought that broccoli shit in here yeah don't. and then all the women had to clean it up yeah yeah i have yeah, that quote that's how it is when we would have potlucks at work it was always hilarious because i was always in the group that was like but just get the chicken and people would always complain about all oh, the fried chicken but what was the one thing that was, was always, always gone because we would go we would put money in and then we would go to the grocery store and we would come back piping hot so you know a lot of like the potlucks it's Sometimes some of the stuff you can microwave and stuff, but a lot of it is just like cold dishes and stuff, you know, because it was made the night before. Delicious, nonetheless. But everybody complained, and we always talk shit on the chicken, and yet every potluck, and then it would always be a thing like, we know we're getting the chicken. We're the chicken group. That's what we're gonna do, and people are gonna bitch about it, and then they're gonna eat all the fucking chicken, <laughs> and we win. <laughs> Yeah, and I don't have to be the one that has a, a dish that nobody yeah. likes. Like, everybody likes the chicken. Exactly. And, well, I also had mother-in-law not calling the police on her son when he's beating his wife. But would you? Let me tell you, let me tell you something. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I will, I will pop my brother dead in his eye if you ever tell me he laid a hand on you. I will kick his ass. I'll probably like you. Know, he's bigger than me at this point, but I can get some. I can get some shots in. I ain't afraid he's of scrappy. Him. Yeah, I'm scrappy. I just. I believe you. <laughs> you don't believe don't, me. You would call the police on Adam. See, if he were beating you. Say, now I didn't say I'd call the police on him. I said I'd pop him dead in oh, his eye. Well, that's true. Ah, true. Yes. Yeah, see. Like, I do gotta understand what yeah. about the calling the, the the restraining you order. You know what though. I do? I get out my loppers. Mm-hmm. My God. I kill him. Yeah. Well, see, look, look at this. We have it right here. Yeah. The, we have more in common than we have differences. She would she would be wearing all white on the countryside, carrying. Yeah. This, my brother yeah. just remember part. Yeah, his head, his head wouldn't be that heavy either. <laughs> He's gonna listen to this. I'm not the one who has ever thought that. You guys are always the ones saying it. Yeah, that's a great now, joke, guys. That is I not a plural. That. There is one person here guilty of that. Yeah. I mean, okay. Yeah. Yes. If he were abusing well, Eugene, that never happens. Okay. I would have to. I would. I would intervene okay. in some way. Okay. Pum dead in his eye. His pop. <laughs> my only negative now that i found out that the ending was different than i knew is the phrase crying like a little girl yeah mm. oh it should yeah. just be crying like an aaron bush or apparently a jennifer aniston because i watched that friend for you oh god i'm gonna have to watch it now look at me me and aniston 
on the I, corner. Now that I found out that she and what's his name actually had feelings for each other, I'm gonna cry. I know. Oh my god. I know. And the and the most fun is Joey, Matt LeBlanc. He had a blast. Really? Yeah. And he, he just had a good time with it. So yeah. I liked watching him the most. Yep. So crying well, like an Aaron Bush. Okay, so those are negative reheatables. Everybody's negatives out there? Out there? Yeah. Okay, positive reheatables. I never heard of green tea Kit Kats. Yeah, they're they're good. I've had them. They're delicious. Um, no, that doesn't go there. Okay. Um, never. That was okay. Others. <laughs> that was it. I thought that John Norman Schneider and Patrick Pino, uh, Declan and Schneider and Schneider, Declan and Troy and Mo were really funny. Mm-hmm. I thought yes. the mother was also really funny. Yeah. Actually, there's like a lot of people with a cat. It's really funny. But up until now, you if you're listening to this and haven't watched it, you probably think it's not a funny movie, but it really is funny. It there's really a is. lot of funny stuff there's in it. Like just laugh out things that made me laugh mm-hmm. out loud. Like when Shelly is with uh, Tiva and she's trying to get her to go to the um, the support, you know, yeah. the, the women's support. The way that the scene ends did make me laugh because then she has it in my quotables. Okay, so I'll save it. But I'm like, yeah, that bit's great. Um, I thought that it was great about Mina's gentrification. That thing, how like we talked talked about it, how it was the Irish, and then they came uh-huh. in, like, and just the cycle of it. Um, the food spread. Yeah. yeah. I can it. I haven't personally witnessed it, but I saw pictures and stuff. And like when Filipinos get together for parties, they like go all out with the food. Mm-hmm. Like the they put Italians to shame, I bet. Yeah, they like they, they they just put like just tables and tables, and it's just everything. Like sometimes, like they'll have the the whole like pig thing going, like mm-hmm. the roast, and it's just so much food and just so generous with the the food and making like oh here take this here take this here take this Mm -hmm. just all of that and you know it's like just delicious Um, like Christmas dinner at our house yeah (laughs) but but mine is like 36 items (laughs) yeah because it's because it's everybody because everybody comes for the the family like all of the cousins everybody comes and and like you don't even have to be related it's just oh you're off the street and they know you and you're walking by it's come in and get a plane Mm -hmm. you know i'll bet good terms with the family and stuff uh troy's basketball shorts we already went into in detail (laughs) but it's a good repeatable because I, I instantly knew who this guy was. Um, and then the offbeat, the offbeat humor. I yes. loved it. And yes. I got it so true. Um, even with the, the Skype call with the, the yeah. Philippines was yes. hilarious. It was. And so close to home. So close to And that's the thing. Like, well, uh, I have more about that later. But that's the thing when you watch it. It's just, it's so relatable. It's yeah. Just, it's just our 
bullshit that keeps us right this oh is anybody's God. family yeah. yeah oh this isn't for me oh because it's got filipino in front of america so it can't be for me it's right. fucking bullshit like jeez uh christine positive i loved the mina's the little girl right yes, yes. I loved her drawing of the birth of Jesus Christ. I know you did. There he is. <laughs> Here's the halo. <laughs> um, I thought it was so good when somebody gave they somebody gave the mom a digital keychain for Mo Christmas. Did. Mo, yeah. yeah, and he was like, "Look, it's a digital keychain." I've asked everyone to send me pictures. Um. And she threw it right in the trash can. Yes! Right in front of him. Yeah. Uh, I wrote the, I mean, the food looked good, but I wrote the mango cake specifically I would like to try. Mm-hmm. I also had the, the dark humor. I liked it a lot. Uh, and then, yeah, I wrote their family gatherings looked really fun. Yeah. I mean, except for the abuse. Yeah, except for the abuse, because just great sense of humor. <laughs> just minus the abuse. Other than that, I, mean, like, I also good. thought all the scenes were done really well. Where like, I did think the scenes were done well when they were all in a large group, and you could tell somebody was gonna like before you really knew what was going on. Except for that, I had read the, you know, we knew what the we knew that he was gonna be abusive. Mm-hmm. But I thought like. You could totally tell in all of the large gatherings when somebody made a comment that you could tell it and sit right with him. And I felt like everyone in the background did a really good job of reacting to it. Like, yeah, yeah. You can oh. see like Shelly in the other room being like, oh, God, like, I mean, do I need to have to step in? And mm-hmm. yeah. That yeah, great filmmaking. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. I have three things that I want to know what they symbolize because they obviously symbolize something. Oh, no. The broken wind chime. Oh, yeah. I thought that the broken wind... Okay, when I first saw it, I thought for some reason that he had already killed the father and that that the broken wind chime was, was like something that he put on it to deaden because at first I thought there was something on one of the chimes to deaden it Uh but then later when I looked I was like oh that wind chime is gone Uh like it was taken out of the picture so then it doesn't make sense and then maybe that's the father is the yeah I thought it symbolized something with the family being broken excellent okay um the other one was when the mother-in-law blows out the candles all of those candles after um, Troy was sitting there and waiting to pounce on his wife when she got home. Well, that's just fire safety because didn't San Francisco go up in flames over a big fire? So Yeah, but that was a cow who knocked over a lantern. So um, <laughs> I felt like she she was blowing out the Wait, candles. Wait, was that the Chicago was that in Chicago? No, it was Chicago. Was that... Yeah, Mrs. O'Leary's cow. See, you had me all mixed up. 
I know, but there was a fire in San Francisco, right? Yeah, Just but it wasn't Mrs. O'Leary's cow, unless Mrs. O'Leary's cow made quite a long trip. It did. It was like, I got to get out of Chicago. <laughs> and by the time it got to San Francisco, I was so tired, it knocked it over a lantern. Exactly. I'm so clumsy. You did it again. <laughs> okay, that was that was my question. So we are two quotables. Mm. I mean, the quote. Yeah. I well, this I already wrote it in my contender for quote of the year. Thank yeah. you. Depression was- is for white people. And yeah. But then that's also part of cast. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's a whole problem in itself and a whole cultural thing. At least as a white person, I could tell people I'm depressed and nobody ever. Yeah, duh. Yeah, exactly. Because there's a. <laughs> you expect yeah. it but from the- an average white girl. There, but then the, the 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 stigma for everyone else is is like well, yeah. we don't we don't have that luxury like yeah, we're, exactly we don't have time for that bullshit we yeah. have to keep going lucky you yeah <laughs> it, it should be so nice yeah um I guess I'll keep going uh somebody said but didn't he actually bash a guy's head in and Shelley said that was the job he had before that yes. You're just like, oh, he's not a good guy. Um, this is the ending to when Shelly met with um, Tiva, and Tiva was trying to convince her to get help. Um, and sh- Shelly was, like, angry, so she's yelling. And she said, here's your casserole dish. I tried to wash it, but it crusted all over. You just have to let it soak overnight in hot water. And then, like, a few scenes later, Shelly, like, called, or Tiva called Shelly to apologize. She was like, I'm sorry that I made you upset. Like, I didn't mean to. Um, I don't know how to end these messages. That was in my mom's casserole dish. <laughs> yeah, the whole casserole dish was, because the, the rant before that was was very dramatic. And, and, the, yes. and, then she, and then she just keeps going and going. And then it goes into this, and here's your casserole dish. And walks away, yeah. Yeah, I was like, I want more of, after that scene, I was like, I want more of this guy's movie. Yeah. I yeah, like his I humor. agree. Um, I don't know. I probably should have read down the beginning of this quote, but I didn't. So, um, don't know who said it, but all we have left in, all we have left are the men who fear not leaving a mark on the world and the women who run it. Oh, it was his Lisa. friend. Lisa. It was Lisa. Lisa. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And she was talking about how men are afraid or so afraid of not leaving a mark on the world and like they have to leave. Dude, that scene is chef's yeah. kiss. It I was agree. so great. I I was leaning in on just like the more she was talking. Like that's one of those things where I you would you would feel the instinct to cut that scene or make it shorter. And that's one of those where, no, he did it perfect. Let that go. There's other stuff that can be cut, but like that was pure cinematic gold. It was such a great scene. It was indeed. And those are my quotables. Uh, I have when people say they want apologies, they don't want apologies. They want blood. Yeah. Yeah. Why don't you just call the police? Well, because <laughs> like it's easy. Calling the police is for white people. 
Okay, this is what Lisa said. Women don't go through this kind of midlife crisis because they're too fucking busy getting shit done. <laughs> yeah, okay. I'm glad you got the beginning of that. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, and were the boys left a message for the girls to clean? Like, it's just given. The boys are going to get up and go, and, and the girls but are going to clean. And then notice Declan's cleaning. Yeah, well. And, and that's, yeah, that's, uh, I think, a comment of itself, and I'm sure he had to hear about it. Exactly. Because he's probably cleaning because he's like, this is the right thing to do. But it's, but then because he's gay, it's like, oh, you're a girly man. You right, know? right. Like so go in there shit. and do the women's chores yeah, with the like, women. No, I'm a man. I have feelings for other men, but I'm cleaning because I'm a human <sighs> being. And why do they have to be the ones to clean? I, you know. I have when Troy said, <laughs> Troy would have a lot of lines that would make me laugh. Like, he's a dick, but he, like, there were funny line readings. When he got mad because she got the cigarettes but didn't have a lighter, and he's like, you know my lighter died. <laughs> I <didn't know. laughs> yeah, he was pretty, he was so good at being a dick. Yeah, you're just like, that dick. And also, when, when Declan was like, he just wanted to get out of the house, he's like, oh, I need to go and, and get gin for the cocktails I'm going to make. And then he's like, yo, you didn't think we had gin? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, we thought Ma drank it all. And then the grandma, when they're on the Filipinos, well, the, the guy who goes into the whole sermon was hilarious. And then the grandma who was like, it's your fat that makes you look fat. I was like, wow, yeah. that's grandma energy right Isn't there. That's some, that's some grandma shit there. Yeah. Ooh. Um, and then when the mom, it's uh, <laughs> the next morning and she's just like, okay, guys, I'm going to McDonald's for breakfast. I'm like, oh, I, I like this house. I, I know. <laughs> And the, and the mom had a, a bunch of just funny line readings to me. Like when they were, when Declan and her were in the car and decided to do the deed, and she's just like, I think it's a pause. And she's just like, okay, how would we do it? How would we do it, Declan? Yeah. <laughs> I was just like, you're talking about killing your son. Wow. Like, yeah. Hey. Okay. LVP. I have abuse, just abuse. Same. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, we. I went with toxic masculinity, I think, last week or, or very recently. But, you know, I think it was last week because I wrote, speaking of toxic masculinity. Yeah. <laughs> but I, I wrote abuse. I went with Troy. Because, well, like, yeah. yeah, his father abused him and stuff. But there's a lot of people who their parents have abused them and they recognize that that's not right. Not an excuse. And yeah, it's not an excuse. Well, yeah, because there were people in, in their lives who said, that's not an excuse guy. You got to live in this house with other people instead of just cowering. Yeah. So that's, that's, I put Troy. Okay. My MVP is before stated Lisa. And her rant. Oh, yeah, that was good. I love Lisa. 
I put that was my that was my MVP, but then I moved it to honorable mention because I love that scene. Oh my god! Oh my god! I did put it to honorable mention because I was like, you know what? My real MVP is Filipino Americans. Ah, hmm. And I decided to go with because just a great culture, mm-hmm. just a very, very much a part, an important part of America. And how many times have we ever, I don't think we've ever done a movie over the course of Gone with the Bushes where there's been a character who has been a Filipino American. Who has, who has been cast as played a Filipino American. I mean, I'm yeah. sure we've had some Filipino Americans. I don't even film. know if we've had Filipino Americans in our films, but who maybe Bridge Over the River Kwai as Filipino Americans. No, so I just think right. because they are fantastic, and I don't think that you need to be Philip. I think that like they should just be embraced, and they're American, and I love just being involved in the culture, and I just want more. It's great. You are fortunate. You work with some really nice people. I don't know if you'll ever see them again, though. But just just a sense of humor, a warmth, and I. But that it's you could say it with anybody. You you know that's just how it it is. Okay, my MVP was Tiva. Yeah. Um, cause she was like really she was the only one trying to like intervene and help Shelly out. She, you know, and she just I liked that she just flat out was like destroy hit you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like she didn't try to beat around the bush or and then she, you know, sat down and talked with her and tried to, you know, give her resources to help rather than instead of just being it's hard to know what you do in that situation instead of just being like, oh, let me know if there's anything I can do to help because that's probably not going to happen. It's like she was like, happen. here's right. an organization my friend works for. Like, here's how, you know, I can you can stay at my place. Like, so she was my MVP. And also how she said, even if you decide to stay, like I, I am, support, I that. support that. Yeah. Which I was and, like, yeah, oh, yeah. okay. Well, she was yeah. really good at talking to her. And then when she called to apologize and she was like, I'm sorry if I made you feel a type of way, like she didn't want to, you know, make her feel uncomfortable. Like she couldn't come to her again. And so she was my MVP. Mm-hmm. Nice. Okay, so we are to recasting, which I didn't do because I don't know other Filipino Americans who can uh, I can recast this with. All right, so I also didn't have a list, and then right before the podcast, I was doing um, some research. I was just reading extra articles and film analysis, and I came across an LAist article by Paula Marco. Um, and she was partners. I don't know if they're still together, but she was partners with the guy who played Troy. And so she knew that he was acting in this movie. So she was able to, um, interview HP Mendoza and stuff. And she said that in a test screening, so this is from her article, um, at a test screening, somebody said all the characters look the same. Like somebody got up and was like, you know, because they do the test screen. What would you mm-hmm. change? And they were like, oh, all the characters look the same. OK. Oh. Then H.P. Mendoza said another person commented, and this is a quote. 
I know you're saying this is a Filipino American story, but there's mm-hmm. nothing specifically Filipino American about it. Have you considered shooting this movie with regular people? Oh, are oh my you God. kidding me? And I had written down before I even got to this, like for the recasting, I wasn't going to recast it because I felt like if I recast this with like a black cast, right. I'm like, well, I, it's kind of, it's different, but it's almost kind of in that vein of like a Tyler Perry film. Exactly. That's exactly you what know? I thought. Like, We've like, done Medea's Christmas dinner. Yeah, like dinner. positive and, and negative for all of that. And then if I felt like if I cast it with, um, you know, like white characters, that it would kind of be like a Shakespearean kind of film. And I thought that that was like a, a Shakespearean comedy kind of thing. And I thought that that was really telling in, like, one, how if you recast this, you could... Like, this seems very Shakespearean, you know? Mm-hmm. Oh, definitely. And how, oh, because you... But then I came across that quote, and I was just like, motherfuckers! Like, you cast it... Like, regu- like what do you mean by regular people? Because right. you know what you mean by regular people. Yeah. It is regular. These are people. Yeah, like, we're talking about regular you? people. And you have the... Like, you have the caucasity... Yes. I'm just saying, yeah. I'm going out on a limb of saying that, that this person had the caucasity to get up when they're saying what would make the film better to tell this director to his face. I don't get it. Why don't you cast it with regular people and you can't even hear that? Like, right. it just doesn't even make the connection of, like, fuck you. And then there's this great... I guess it went viral when it happened, but... um. A similar thing happened with, uh, I think it was Justin Lin's movie, and somebody in one of the screenings or something said kind of the similar thing. No, it, but it was about representation, because I think his film was um, uh, like a, more of a, uh, like a gangster kind of film. And so somebody got up and was like, do you feel like that this is bad to have Asian representation of, you know, like the criminals. And Roger Ebert got up and was like, how dare you tell, like, you know, like if this was white people, like white people are allowed to make this, this kind of stuff. Like, how dare you tell this man that he can't make this? This isn't a, this is American stories. These are, well, I don't know if it was American, but you get the point and the gist of what I'm saying. It probably was. I, I, I just, I'm, I'm, I'm I'm shooting from the hip here, but you're getting my greater point. Yes, we are. Uh, um, And I'm sure Christine did a pristine Mm -hmm. recasting this week. Of nothing. But most of the time our recasting is for that reason of showing that these stories are are similar and, and... it's just it's just our caste system of why they've been presented mostly with people of European descent playing these stories and appealing to it. And it's like maybe the people of European descent need to do a little bit more work. And it's not even that much more work. I've done it my whole 40 years. And so we are to Tasty Nuggets. And again, we come to a small, low-budget movie made by uh, a person of color and there was no trivia that I found. Oh, Erin shakes her finger because she found some. Well, I, this is on Filipino Twitter, I guess. (laughs) 
not on Twitter. I uh, this is from Wikipedia. So again, like Teeny said, this could be completely wrong. I don't okay. know. The initials HP were actually his mother's idea when she decided she wanted to reorder his name and or initialize it after a psychic told her that it would be the only way that he would garner success. Actually, that came from IMDb. Yeah, I saw that one, too. So it must be real. It's got to be true. I Um, did not find that. I have that this is the only screenplay that doesn't pass the Bechdel test. And this is according to HP. He said, and for good reason, it's a movie about how men treat women. And so Mm -hmm. I looked up the Bechdel test and it's named after the American cartoonist Alison Bechdel, who wrote the graphic memoir Fun Home which was adapted into the, to the 2015 Tony Award musical Fun Home. And she was also the recipient of the MacArthur Genius Award. The test measures the representation of women in fiction. It asks whether a work features at least two women who talk to each other about something other than a man. The requirement is that the two women must be named is sometimes added. Oh, interesting. So, uh, most movies kind of fail that, which is yes. like fucked up. Yes. Um, the screenplay, he worked on the screenplay since 1997. It was originally called He Ain't Heavy, He's My Brother, which mm. was the name of the Hollies famous yes. song. And yes. I knew that. And I was like, oh, that came out in 1969. Not because I'm like Rain Man, but because my... Do you remember? I, that was one of my favorite <laughs> CDs in high school was the Billboard Top 10 1969 album because it had Spirit in the Sky. It had He Ain't Heavy, He's My Brother. It had like 1969 has some jams on it. And mm-hmm. so I remember, I'm like, oh, I know the Hollies. I know this 1969. And so he wanted to make this movie as like a needle drop movie. You're like, well, what's a needle drop movie? That's a movie. The best way to describe it is really like uh, Goodfellas, which I just watched today um, or rewatched. It's when you take movies that like from his youth and stuff. And so every time a scene would come, like this song would come in. It's like what Quentin Tarantino does. Like Pulp Fiction, how the needle drops and it's the Strawberry Letter 23. And he wanted to do that. The problem with that is that it is very expensive to clear the licensing and to get the rights for it. And he even wrote a letter trying to get, he ain't heavy, he's my brother. And, you know, he's not Quentin Tarantino yet. So they were like, They'll be sorry. They'll be sorry. But he he ended up having to compose that. He did the wind chimes and he did it himself. And I don't I think it was probably a better movie because he had to be more innovative. Uh Um, So he had been working on it for a long time. And then the Filipino folk songs, he was able to get those rights. Um, They're songs by. Bayani Han. Philippine National Folk Dance Company. And that's the oldest dance company in the Philippines. And they go around and they tour and they do all of the traditional Filipino songs and dances and they tour and 
they're really kind of like, this is the member, this is like the culture. And so I think that would, it seems really interesting because there's so many different cultures because it's, yeah. it's so many different islands. Like you like to think like, oh, it's the Philippines. It's, but the Philippines, Filipinos are just like any other group. There's, I mean, almost more to an extent because it's islands. So the different cultures and, and yeah, different. because the different colonizers could have come to different islands in what is now the philippines so it, and you, yeah and even before they came they were just islands and so you would have a group of people and they're like this is our thing and then the, you know you get on a little boat and then you're like oh well this is their thing and then just yeah i think it's just very wild to think about especially when you think of all the different languages and stuff <clears throat> yeah i yeah okay um other tasty nuggets? No. Well, I did enjoy it. At first, I was quite confused because it just kept throwing different characters at me. But then as I, I saw how they all mixed together, and then it was a holiday movie with a family. I mean, come on. There's going to be drama and there's going to be humor because I do feel like people who deal with a lot of drama are the, are funny people because they've used humor to deal with their. Yeah. Yeah. Cause what else is there? <laughs> it's just like, all right, well, I could be miserable about it or I could make a joke about it. Mm -hmm. I enjoyed it too. I want to watch more HP Mendoza. Yes. I do too. As do I. Okay, so next week. Well, next week we're taking the week off. Mm -hmm. What? All of us? We are. Or is just one of us going to be in in um, cognito? Do yeah, um, yeah. a podcast alone? It's me, guys. What you always wanted. Just Aaron rants. <laughs> no, it's not. So we are going to have a touch of a little reunion and then we will be together i wonder what the next week is well that will well, be it's gonna be teeny's birthday week mm -hmm. so i already know what i'm getting her mm. i i already got her a gift mm. mm -hmm. i got it's her one gift. well did you pick a movie to please me I think Ooh. I did, actually. If, uh -oh. if, you, if you want to, if you want to get high <laughs> you've done it, I think I did. If it, it pleased the core, <laughs> my lead. Well, I'll, I'll determine that. If it pleased the core, well, your birthday is in June. June is Pride Month. Mm-hmm. I I feel we've danced around this movie for a, a, a bit of time. You were gonna pick it last week. Ah, Paris is burning. 1990s, Paris is burning. Yeah. Wow. Available for rent, multiple places, but especially Ma for you, iTunes. Oh, or excellent. Apple, Apple or iTunes. Okay. Erin likes that because then she can watch it on my dime. That'll be exciting. Good way to start June. I thought, I thought so. I was like, well, what's the date? What do we do? What should it be? But I've I've also been circling this movie, and I'm like, nah. I've not seen it. I've never seen it either. I have, but it's been a long, long time. Outstanding. Wow. 
I'm looking forward to that, but not as much as I'm looking forward to next weekend. <laughs> Hope you enjoyed bitter melon and maybe try some bitter melon. There you go. Bye. Bye.